Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese. All right, let's get on to the real show. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. And once again, we're joined by Elisa Hansen, the greatest vampire viewer I've ever seen ever. <laughs> I, I may be the only vampire reviewer. <laughs> uh, no. Um, welcome back. Let's just get into it. Elisa, what are we covering this week? Oh, we're covering Love Never Dies. Yikes. sequel to his smash Broadway success musical Phantom of the Opera. He wrote a sequel to a musical. Based loosely on a book. So he wrote a musical adaptation of a book that's a sequel to a musical that is based on a book. Yeah, but he had the book written. He hired a guy to write the book so that he could make a musical sequel out of it. Doesn't really count. Yeah. It's, it's not like he found this book and was like, wow, this book is so great. No, his, he, he hired a guy and he told the guy what he wanted in the book. And then the guy wrote a bunch of stuff that Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't like um, because Frederick Forsyth wasn't a fan of Phantom. And there is nobody who's a fan of Phantom like Andrew Lloyd Webber is a fan of Phantom. Like Andrew Lloyd Webber is seriously into Phantom. And... I get the feeling that when he read this book, he's like, this isn't my phantom. And either for that reason or other reasons, he put the musical on hold for a really long time. And because it needed work, he needed new ideas that wasn't doing it for him. And then he was working on writing it and he had a few songs written for what he thought he wanted it to be. And then there's this funny story of how uh, his cat stepped on a button on his synthesizer and deleted his music for, for the phantom sequel. So it's like, even the cat didn't want this to happen. <laughs> the cat was a hero. The hero we deserved. One of the original songs he wrote for it before he even had decided what he wanted the story to be, since he didn't love Frederick Forsyth's story, you know, he loved parts of it, but not all of it, um, was The Hardest Slow to Learn, which because the musical took so long to come to be, he wound up using that song in a different musical of his, his baseball musical. And The Hardest is Slow to Learn is... Very similar to the song Love Never Dies, but you know, they're different songs. It's similar enough where you're like, is that self plagiarism? <laughs> He's Andrew Lloyd Webber. Everything's I mean, whenever he, he isn't or, plagiarizing or, Pink Floyd or um, Puccini. <laughs> or Puccini. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> plagiarism. That's not a real thing. It's inspiration. When you're <laughs> an artist, it's all inspiration. So yeah, in the book, 
that Frederick Forsyth wrote, he he didn't get the Phantom the same way that Andrew Lloyd Webber gets the Phantom, and he also introduced a lot of new characters. Um, there was a, a priest character, a like ragamuffin kid character. Uh, the Phantom had an evil assistant, uh, a really evil assistant who was like a worshiper of the god of gold. Then he got the Phantom to be a worshiper, and Andrew Lloyd Webber's like, this is not my Phantom. But he used a lot of those ideas in Love Never Dies by bringing it back more to the original musical and cutting out all those kind of newsboy noir elements. For instance, he replaced the evil assistant with Meg. <laughs> well, I think. Yeah. So now Meg is kind of his I feel evil like that was assistant. a fandom kind of intervening there because Meg was surprisingly a well received character from the original musical. Well, see, the thing about the original musical and the fandom is that you, you know, a mm. lot of the fandom is women, right? And when you're a fan of a musical as a young lady, you dream about being in the musical for a lot of people, you know, whether they're <laughs> talented or not. And looking at a musical like Phantom, it's some very hard pieces of music to perform. You have to be very talented to sing Christine or to sing Carlotta. And especially when you're young, you look at a character like Meg and you think, hey, I could play that part. I could be on Broadway someday. And then maybe work my way up to being a more talented, better performer. You don't look at Madame Giri and think that because, you know, that's a part for an older woman. So Meg got really popular mm -hmm with the young fan base because it was an achievable role. It's the self-insert. They could see themselves in her. I don't know. Exactly. I'd want to play Madame Jerry. Yeah, me too. Now that I'm old, I'll play Madame Jerry. But, you know, when I was 12... I want to play the guy hanging from the rafters. You want to play Joseph Bouquet? <laughs> <laughs> well, you ship Bouquet and Phantom, so... That's a doable character for me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you were a creator of something like a musical and you're looking at this book and it's like, who are all these new characters? Why don't we just use the characters we have? Okay, I'll replace this person with the person who already exists. It was, they were very logical choices. Of course, M Meg's personality had to completely change. Mm -hmm. And her accent. But, you know, you stick the character in the role, who cares if her personality mm -hmm. changes? Yeah, now she's like suddenly obsessed with getting the Phantom's attention and... Just kind of weird. It's it's really weird. This whole thing is weird. She, like, became the Phantom fangirls. It is weird how mundane the Phantom becomes in this world, where it's just like, oh, yeah, he's just this guy that we work for. And not, like, yeah, he's mysterious. not like, he didn't murder anybody or anything, right? He's not... <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, he, he comes... He escapes Paris, because, you know, as a murderer, he got to flee. Uh, and he goes to Coney Island, where... He could be one of the freaks, and he fits in. But he brought along two people that know that he murdered people. Yeah, but they were the ones who helped him escape in the first place, supposedly. Why did they help him escape, though? They didn't even like him in the Madame first Jerry place. Madame liked him a little bit. Uh, enough. I think she wouldn't have helped him, though. Not that much. I don't think that if you ask the question, why did they do this? That's not how they were in the first one. You are ever going to get a satisfying answer. <laughs> no, I think the satisfying answer is is a uh, oh, but it's not. It's a standalone. Um, that's what Andrew Lloyd Webber says. It's like a very standalone piece. Yeah, it's not a sequel. 
he, he likes to think it could be a standalone. Like, if you saw it first without having seen Phantom, you wouldn't be confused. But I don't even think that's true. I think I'm confused, confused and I have seen Phantom. So let's go just a little bit about the behind the scenes of Love Never Dies and talk about just the generals. It is a romantic musical composed by Andrew Lloyd Webber with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber and lyrics by Glenn Slater and a book by Lloyd Webber, Ben Elton, Frederick Forsyth, and Slater. Um, of course, it's a sequel to Phantom of the Opera, and really, he tried it so many times. Like, in London, it played for a little bit, and everyone hated it. There started the fandom turning against the creator in a very George Lucas-style way of love should die and all that. And really, yeah, that was... But I remember they were, like, planning bomb threats on the Adelphi Theater back when it was playing there. Like, they were... They, like, grew to, like, scary levels, like that it's kind of screwed up to think about it now. I'm sure that was a di- it was a different time Yikes. before that was like a real commonplace thing. So it was like, oh, kids being kids. They became the phantoms of the opera. They kind of did though. Like the fans were the real phantom. The fans were dropping chandeliers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after the rather disastrous London production where they were basically writing new lines after previews and during opening night, it was like almost on par with Spider-Man turn off the dark level of like um, trying to put out fires. They closed it and reopened it on in Australia. And Andrew Lloyd Webber took the advice given to him by Hal Prince of, you know, that stage looked really ugly. Um, yeah, we, your songs can be great, but if we ain't got nothing to look at, we, no one's gonna care. So he went all out and made it as pretty as possible and as crazy looking as possible. And it released in Australia under, like, brand new, like, story directions. And that is the version we all watched. The, uh, like, gothic carnival aesthetic of it? Mm-hmm. I like. Like, it's pretty. That production designer, she did a great job Agreed. designing that production. <clears throat> It is quite pretty. And I love me a gothic carnival, you know? Mm-hmm. But What's one of the main love? changes, like, like between the original London and the Australian is that the original London basically followed the same identical structure of the original Phantom, which was start with a prologue 30 years in the future. Um, then we go to um, 20 minutes of setup with, like, pastiche. And then 45 minutes in, we introduce the Phantom. <laughs> And it was a mess. <laughs> so they added in his little yep, like, prologue he, song instead. That's or was that song? They moved, that was originally in the forty-five minute like ish mark, like right around when he sings "Phantom of the Opera" in the original musical. And before that, it's all Meg and the freaks all dancing around, and of course the thirty-year-later prologue at the beginning. Yeah, it was Yikes. not very good, and. They realized what people wanted. They wanted Phantom right up front. Yeah, that's that's what everyone came for. <laughs> yeah, so the Phantom sings a song. It's it's not a bad song. Um, I don't love the lyrics, but the music is pretty. of songs and moments in Love Never Dies that feel like now this is the music of the night moment. Now this is the Don Juan triumphant moment. Now, you know, it's like, have you seen the new Mary Poppins movie where it's like beat for beat oh, we the did. same movie? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of feels not 
as egregious as that, but it's got a lot of that going on. And if in a way it's maybe give the people what they want, and in a way it's kind of like, this is lazy, try harder. Well, when you when all you do is give the people what they want, it's not really what they want, because they want something new. Yeah. If they wanted to watch the same thing again, they'd probably just watch the same thing again. Like, Andrew came to me, like, halfway through while watching, and he's like, or when the Freaks came out, and he's like, is this a prequel? And then I was like, you know, a Phantom prequel would actually be really cool. Because then it would be all about him. So ten years after the events yeah. at, of the original Phantom, the Phantom is moaning and crying about how much he misses Christine. And on this specific day, he's like, you know what, I'm just going to write her a letter and ask her to come back. Why didn't I think of that before? Well, you know, it's it's confusing in the musical um, because she thinks she's invited by Oscar Hammerstein to sing at the like a real opera house. And then the Phantom shows up and he's like, no, you're singing for me instead. So it's like, did he trick her into coming? But then he says, I know what Hammerstein's paying you. I'll pay you more. So now was it really an invitation? It was just coincidence that she came on that day. Like they try to play it both ways. And they call him Mr. Y, which is weird. Oh, yeah. He's not the Phantom anymore. He's Mr. Y. It's like mystery, like, (laughs) like Edward Nigma. Mr. Y doesn't work. If you read it, it looks like Mr. It works on paper, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, but we never see What were you going to say before I interrupt you, Andrew? (laughs) I don't know. I thought that he was invited by um, by the Phantom under a different name, basically. Like she was invited in, and she thought it was yeah. From someone but then, else. then why did she? Why did he say, "I know what he's paying you. I'll pay you more." If she wasn't really invited by him, gaslighting maybe. Like uh, I know what he's paying because I sent the offer. Oh, so he's still trying to trick her at that point. Yeah, he wanted her to think that. He was trying to like. But don't you think Oscar <laughs> Hammerstein, one of the most famous musicians at the time, would have seen all this stuff in the news about Christine's coming to sing for Oscar Hammerstein? Don't you think he would have been like, no, bitch, she ain't, and like said something and done something and she would have figured it out? Maybe she knew it was the Phantom the whole or time. Or maybe Oscar care. Hammerstein was like, no, no, let's see how this plays out. I'm interested. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm game. Let's see. Who's Christine? <laughs> I don't know, French. <laughs> Also, Oscar Hammerstein was, like, right in, like, Oklahoma, and, you know... She would have been a great Julie Jordan. Yeah. It's like, she's coming to sing at the Opera House, and she's an opera singer. But, no, she ends up singing at a Coney Island sideshow. (sighs) That makes sense. (laughs) But then we go into a 45-minute segment about the Coney Island sideshow, where Meg sings about... Yes. So the Phantom owns this Coney Island sideshow, which is different from the book. In the book, he started off in Coney Island dressed as a clown so he could wear like a rubber clown mask and, you know, not have anyone look at him twice. And that was very liberating for him. That would have been cool. And then he spent his time building roller coasters because he's a genius. So he built all these really technologically advanced roller coasters and became a millionaire, which back then was a lot of money. And then he goes into Manhattan, becomes this impresario in a skyscraper and he's no longer doing Coney Island like he's left that life behind he's this Manhattanite CEO now and he decides he wants to build an opera house so he builds this opera house and he brings Christine over to sing at this opera house he built and there's no Coney Island in I mean she goes to Coney Island for like a day just to see it in the book but that's about it but in the Love Never Dies musical 
they were they were trying to work with that and they're like no this isn't like stagey enough it's not spectacular enough why what if we stayed in coney island and just stay there then we can do really fun things with the staging so that's what they went for and now the phantom writes like vaudeville numbers instead of don juan triumphant and that's how he spends his time i'd be surprised if he was okay with that yeah it's like the music that he supposedly writes that meg sings i was like no way the fan wrote that like he would not Bring himself to write that. He's lower himself to that. Isn't it funny imagining him like bathing beauty on the (laughs) He's sitting over his organ with his green quill pen and his little hat. He's looking at a he's looking at a picture of Christine. Bathing beauty. And then she takes off one bathing suit and there's another one underneath. Yes. Yes. Dots. Yes. Alrighty. So Meg hears from her mother that Christine Dye is coming into town, and she's like, oh, that's that's nice. I'd like to see Christine again. Yeah, because Meg's the star of the show now, yeah. And Madame Jerry is like the manager now. So she's in the manager role. Meg's the star of the show. Um, and desperately wants the Phantom to pay attention to her. She's just like, please pay attention to me. Um, yeah, and these two just forgot that one time where the Phantom <laughs> like hung someone from the rafters. You know, I think they were cool with it. I think they were on board. I yeah, think they're, they're just like, like, whatever. That was sweet when he did that. That was sick. <laughs> like, he may be a serial killer, but he's our serial killer. It's like, whatever. It's, we like it. it they, it's like a cult. You know, it's like the, the yeah. phantom cult. Yeah, it's like the the when a musical becomes so big that the fandom gets so involved that you can't divorce yourself from that mentality of thinking someone is so awesome, even though the reason we thought he was awesome in the first place was because he was flawed, that now he has no flaws and now everybody just loves him. Like This should have, this should have been like a new nightmare kind of thing where the phantom becomes real. That would have been Andrew cool. Lloyd Webber's just haunted by the phantom. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Lloyd Webber is haunted by the phantom and the phantom... Everyone loves the Phantom, but he becomes real and he's still evil. <laughs> I, I would watch that. I make this. I want to make this now. <laughs> so Christine and Raoul and their new son, well, not new son, their 10-year-old son, Gustav, disembark. And I find it interesting that Christine is kind of in the Phantom role of this musical, meaning that she's introduced around 25 minutes into the musical and she is this mysterious like character that everyone's kind of obsessed with. Yeah, she, she gets no lines, like everyone else is talking at her and for her and she doesn't even get to talk for however long. And Raul is introduced as the biggest <laughs> dick in dictum. Why? He's like nothing like the character in the first one at all. He's just nope. he's just a total asshole now. <laughs> Yeah, in the first one, he was, you know, heroic, a bit misguided, a bit selfish, but he meant well, and he was in love. And this time, he's like, he's a gambler who's lost all his money, so now he's really bitter and angry all the time, and just a dick to his wife and kid. But we don't know why. What drove him to that? Um, If I had to guess, I would say it's because his wife is into the Phantom and never truly loved him, and he's bitter about that. But they never say that. They never go there. I think the fam goes there once or twice. Or because maybe it's because <laughs> his, his dick don't work and uh, <laughs> and the, the kid's not his. Well, um, I always viewed it as like 
the college jock who seems so cool like when you're a teenager is actually kind of an asshole when you're with him in the end because he's just like got all this pent up like aggression and like doesn't yeah but where does it come from where what's the underlying psychological issue what's what's his damage can tell us what his damage is uh his damage is not knowing why his wife loves him apparently <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that it's not that he thinks she doesn't love him and that's why he's bitter. It's that she loves him, but he yes. doesn't think he deserves it. He's like trying to push her away and she won't go away. And he just gets angrier and angrier because he's trying to get rid of her. But why does he want to do that in the first place? I don't know. There's the, a big question mark for why Raul is this way that doesn't get explained in the musical. It's very frustrating. And character assassination, like... Poor I like Raul. him a lot in the speed school. I like him better than in the first one. He doesn't really have much of a character in the first in one. In this one, he at least is a terrible person, and I always kind of relate to the terrible person, which is kind of why I like the Phantom so much in the first one. And in this one, it's like reflective. I'm like, why am I so bad? And I'm like, okay, that's something. Well, you remember you asked me about fanfic last time? There is so much fanfic out there where Ral turns into a drunken asshole and is a jerk. And so Christine goes back to the Phantom because the Phantom looks nice in comparison. And I don't know if that's just some kind of logical thing that fanfic authors all think of on their own or if Andrew Lloyd Webber had like read some of this fanfic. Because Ral is not like this in the book in Phantom Manhattan. He's not like this at all. He's really nice in that. But in the musical... Well, they had to make you root for the Phantom being the romantic lead in this somehow. And the only way is to, like... But in in the original musical, people were already rooting for the Phantom. Like, that was never a problem. They didn't have to do that. How would you do Phantom of the Opera sequel, just out of curiosity, both of you? Like, if you had to do a Phantom of the Opera sequel, what type of story would you do? Um, I'm going to let you go first, because I'm, I'm trying to think of what I would do. I don't think there can be a sequel. Because the ending of Phantom where the phantom grows and changes and becomes a better person is too perfect. The reason phantom has such a great ending is because it ends. He lets her go. It's over. Like the last words of the show are it's over now, the music of the night. And if it's not over, you undo all that growth. And love never dies undoes it in really bad ways, but like anything that you could have done, would undo that and make the first musical meaningless and strip it of all its power. So putting a sequel for it that has to do with the Phantom and Christine's relationship is impossible. Like, maybe you could do a sequel that had nothing to do with them, but then is it really well, a Well, mine musical? would be with, like, him developing Coney Island, because I like that idea. I'm like, okay, if the Phantom did survive past that, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't just sit around waiting to die. <laughs> So he might go to America and develop this, and maybe he'll discover, like, hey, maybe me and this fella are into each other. A freak like me needs company, Jess. <laughs> exactly. He he gets a, a new love interest yes. that's not Christine. Like, I, I could accept that. I wouldn't like it. I would not like it at all. But I would believe it. Whereas this, like, reuniting... The Phantom and Christine together, you just, it's... Well, I would do it, work. like, in their love of architecture and all that instead of the love of music. Like, you are the best architectural mind I've ever seen. With my trained hand, you might be able to build something great. And together they build Coney Island. I feel like my Phantom would go. have to start killing people again somehow. Yeah, what if he just goes, like, off the deep end? Yeah, like, I feel like 
Maybe maybe he he has this moment of growth, but then he keeps thinking back on it, and he's like, "But I'll never be back with her, and she's gone forever, and I'll I'll never have that again." And then he just starts killing. Like he's okay <laughs> with the fact that he loved her enough to let her go, and he's he's cool with that. But now he's got to kill people for his own reasons. Yeah, because it's the only <laughs> way he can get hard anymore. Oh, Raul, Raul does that because it's the only way he can get hard anymore. <laughs> That would be the way we turn against Raul. <laughs> He's a thrill killer. Yeah, I, I don't think it needs a sequel, though. I think the main the main point is that it doesn't need a sequel at Andrew all. Andrew Lloyd Webber said he left it on a cliffhanger, so... He left the audience wanting more, but if you actually give them more, you undo the good of that. I feel like a prequel might have worked. Yeah, prequel I'm still on board with the prequel. Andrew Lloyd Webber, get on it. Um, Christine and Raul get to their room. Raul bitches about freaks getting them, and... That Gustav is like, why doesn't dad like me? Oh, God. That poor little kid. Why doesn't daddy love me? She's like, love's weird. It's not always right, but he probably loves you. Maybe. Might. Maybe. That's like the most forgettable song in the whole show. Yeah. And then she sends Gustav to bed, and the little toy he was playing with plays Don Juan. And she's like, uh-oh. Then suddenly the phantom's on the balcony. In in the book, the little toy plays masquerade. That would have been better. That would have been a lot better. So the Phantom just like Batman's onto her balcony, comes into her room. It's like she I'm here immediately. <laughs> and she's like, "There's a dangerous man in my room who might want to kill me. I think I'll just make myself as vulnerable as possible." This is the part where the Phantom just threatens to kill her kid. <laughs> oh yeah. And then we just then then we just pretend that didn't happen. He he changed and he grew and he loved her enough to let her go, but no, now he's going to kill her kid. He changed and he grew, but only only in terms of self-respect. So he only <laughs> loves the kid if it's his kid, you We're know. We're forgetting the important part where they talk about they banged. They banged. <laughs> That's the important part of the scene. Well, I mean, yeah, we all knew that happened. Come on. Yeah, so apparently after the musical after the first Phantom musical, Christine went back and had one sordid night of passion with the Phantom. And she was like, yeah, that was great. You know what? I think I do want to be with you, even though you love me enough to let me go. I'm, I came back and now I love you too. And we're going to be together. But the Phantom's like, no, I'm ugly. And he ditches her and rejects her and runs off to Coney I'm confused Island. about the timelines, if you want the honest answer. Yeah. Because I thought that she thought he died, like, when they left or something. I I keep thinking of the silent <laughs> film where he gets mobbed. Yeah, well, and it's supposed <laughs> to be a bit like that, but then after that mobbing, she comes back and finds where like, he's hiding. Like, when's that period? When is it, like, two weeks and after The Phantom, or is it, like, seven months after The Phantom, two years after the musical? Like, when when is that sorted affair in relation to the end of Phantom? It sounded like it was a few days. Like Shit. The lady. Yeah, it sounded like it was pretty quick. Does that mean that she knows that he didn't die and she was just pretending to think that well, he died no, she, for she, Raul's sake? Like, they fell asleep after they banged and then she woke up and he was gone. So she doesn't she know. Di- he died Jedi style, just faded away. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Raul thinks that he died as well, but he thinks he died during the With mob. The, yeah, exactly. So and, is she just Christine, pretending? Probably, or she thinks that the only reason he would have disappeared on her is if he died. 
Because otherwise, surely he would have come back. Like, what kind of asshole wouldn't come back? I know. You'd have to be some sort of weird, deranged killer to think that it's okay to run away. (laughs) (laughs) So, then they sing the most forgettable song in this. Like, Look With Your Heart is probably the second, but Once Upon Another Time is just so, like, draining. Oh, God. It's like they sing this really tense, you know, sexy, weird song about all the sex they had. Yep. And then they immediately sing another duet right after. It's like, pick one. Why do, Why are there two duets right in a row? And I liked Beneath the Moonless Sky if they weren't talking. Like, if they'd had no lyrics in there, I would like that instrumental. It's it's hilarious. bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you kind of got to love it. <laughs> uh, and then suddenly Gustav races from bed. She's like, I had a bad dream. And Phantom's like, what is this, a child spawn? He's like, now I have something to threaten you with. Because, you see, what the Phantom wants is for Christine to sing one song for him on stage in a Coney Island sideshow, even though she's a famous opera diva. And she's like, nah, not going to do that, bro. But he's like, I really want you to sing this one song. That's like, is that so much to ask? And she's like, nope, not going to do it. But then he sees the kid and he's like, what if I threaten to kill your kid? Then will you do it? Hmm. And I like that he's like, (laughs) a man as ugly as me can do murder. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm so ugly, I'm able to even kill children. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, as much as this musical tries to sort of wash away the Phantom's past wrongs to make him more romantic, make him look better by comparison by having Rao look like a jerk, it also has him be a kid killer. Or, like, a would-be kid killer. Like, that's kind of... Well, he's he's not going to kill the kid once he finds out that it's his. Fun, okay? fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> um, here's a little story about the development of this musical. And the original London version of this, he was pretty cool with the kid. He's like, hey, little guy, what you up to? You want to go see the island? Let's go see the island. Let's go check things out tomorrow. And then she's like, he's like, all right, that was nice. You got a cute kid. I'm out of here. And it's like, Phantom's a pretty nice guy. And everyone in the audience... Like, the love should die people were like, that's not the Phantom. The family react like that to Raoul's kid. And so when they did the Australian version, he's like, I'm going to murder that kid. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not just Raoul's kid in his brain. It's Christine's kid. If he loves Christine, why does (sighs) not No, no. He he hates the fact that there isn't any of him in it. You, you see, in all the books where the Christine has the Phantom's kid and Raoul figures it out, Raoul is the nice guy who's like, you know what, this is Christine's child. She is in this child, and I will love him for that. So Raoul's like the better father than the Okay, Phantom. well, Raoul's a drunk, okay, who is a dick. So <laughs> you're forgetting about that part. <sighs> so the next day, um, they start rehearsals for the song, and... Um, Christine runs into Meg and they sing about how, oh, it's great to see everybody. Uh, and then they realize it's not great to see everybody and the song gets all sarcastic and like duplicitous and everyone's like shit talking each other behind their backs and being fake to each other because that's what these characters were like and what they did. I mean, they really want this this song to be pre-Madonna. It's just not as good. <laughs> the issue is every character in the first one was a comic relief, so trying to make them these uh, like these dramatic characters doesn't work. Yeah, there isn't really comic relief in this. Like even the the sideshow people, the circus performers who come out and entertain us 
every once in a while, they're not comical. They're sinister. Yeah, they're like Batman villains. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's trying too hard to be edgy. You know what this musical really needed? It needed Andre and Feldman coming to here and being like, let's let's invest our money in this Coney Island. I bet nothing could go wrong here. That, that actually would probably be... would have fixed a lot. <laughs> oh no, it's him again. We're looking to buy this enterprise. <laughs> Even if it was just a cameo, I'd be perfectly... Gosh yes, darn it, no. what's the luck? <laughs> Not again. He's like, we're looking for the owner of this property. And he literally walks out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish that happened. Nope. Oh, man. Not so lucky. Okay, so suddenly Christine's like, oh, we were too busy singing. I don't know where my child went. <laughs> you know, as someone who has a small child, that happens. The fan's no, the- like, I'm going to show you things, little boy. Come with me. Well, it sounds like you're going to show him the bottom of a lake from the way you're talking, Phantom. Because <laughs> he's up that he doesn't know how to swim. But then, the Phantom gets a shock when he finds out that the kid is musical. And, oh my god, you know, the kid knows how to play piano, therefore, he's my kid. It's not like he's, you know, the son of a famous opera diva who's a brilliant genius singer or anything, and she probably raised him super musical, who is also completely influenced by your music, Phantom, and has a lot of you in her just from all all that trauma. You know, it couldn't have come from there. Let's not forget the grandson of, like, one of the best, like, violinists in the world, apparently. No, it's all you, It's not just that the kid's musical. It's that his music is dark. And edgy. And he's got like an emo streak. And the Phantom's like, I too have an emo streak. Yeah, he like he starts playing my chemical romance on the on the <laughs> piano. <laughs> let me let me die. <laughs> so the the Phantom starts asking him questions while the electric guitar is just like riff out. And he's like, So kid, do you think like I think? Are you as edgy and dark as I am? And the kid's like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty edgy and dark. And the fan's like, you must be my child. I'm really cool. Like, I, I smoke with cigarettes. <laughs> I thought there was going to be, like, a counter twist where it, it actually turns out it is Raul's kid, and then the phantom, like, loses it. Oh, man, I would have liked that. That would have been good. That would have been an interesting twist. Like, so then you have the, the twist that everyone saw coming, and then you have a counter twist that's like, there's the real twist. It was Pianji's yep. kid. <laughs> Christine got like, around. When did that happen? <laughs> oh my. He starts talking with an Italian accent. <laughs> <laughs> this kid really likes spaghetti. He must be Pianji's child. Okay, so the Phantom decides, let's freak this kid out, take off my mask, and let him see the real me. (laughs) (laughs) What a great idea. Then the kid screams, because he's scared, and then the Phantom's like, (gasps) it's horrible, he he can never, like, like me, it's, everything is ruined, everything is awful. It's like, well, if you... You know, had maybe warned him first, you know, talk to him about it. Yeah, that's what I was, that's like, like, you just take it off, like, right face to face with the kid, rips it off. Like, of course he's going to react like that. 
you gotta be like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm kind of disfigured. Uh, it's not gonna be pretty. <laughs> yeah, and especially because the kid is at the moment surrounded by a bunch of other carnival, you know, deformed people. He's, sur- you know. he's surrounded by a bunch of album covers from like emo albums from the 2000s. Yeah, but it's a lot of people who don't look like normal people, right? They're they're the people that were put on display at carnivals, and he's not freaking out about any of those. He's he's on board. He's like, I'm on Coney Island. This is where you go to see the quote unquote freak show or whatever. But then when the Phantom takes off his mask, for a much smaller, tamer deformity, the kid screams. And we don't even get to see it, most of it. Like, he doesn't even have the lip thingy. Yeah, because you can see the lips the whole time, and he doesn't have that. Well, don't you know the lip thingy isn't sexy? We had to lose the lip thingy. He spits all over the place. It's gross. So, um, Christine's like, yeah, he's your kid. My bad. Should have told you. But I didn't. But you were dead, so fuck you. I should have told you, except for there was no way for me to do so. But yeah, you know. <laughs> and then he's like, like, "I'm, I'm gonna give him all my money." And yeah, that doesn't go well. Yeah, and, and Madame Jiri, who's like been working for him, hoping to inherit all his money all this time, hears this, and she's like, "Nah, man, all that time invested, that sucks." Yeah, and that gripping emotional climax is what we end Act 1 with. Remember how Act 1 ended with the Phantom being angry and dropping a chandelier on everyone? This one's just like, man, I'm Jerry being slightly disappointed. She's like, oh, I'm going to have to keep working for a living instead of inheriting? <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> how does the Phantom get all this money? Because uh, he made this awesome show that people come and... He's a genius, Andrew. Yeah, but everyone hates him, apparently, because he's ugly. So how does... Where does all the money come from? How does he get people to work for him? He's got this giant Coney Island Spectacular. Oh, you mean his employees? Yeah, like, how does he find people that don't hate him, since everyone hates him because he's ugly? Gotta find little people. Oh, okay, and they'll like And Mr. Squelch. Yeah, these uh, Coney Island characters that have no character at all. They're just visual. Mm -hmm. Just background. So we open Act 2 with Raoul at a bar complaining about, why didn't my girlfriend love me, but I'm a jerk. See, that song would have been so much better if he was like, why am I a jerk? And then maybe thought about it and maybe speculated on it to give the audience some idea. But like the the fact that he's got so much self-awareness about being a jerk and thinking she shouldn't love him makes his character that much more confusing. Like, at least don't make himself aware. He's, like, not even complaining. He's, like, upset that everything is good. It's like, oh, oh my goodness, my wife loves me so much. That's so bad, I gotta drink some more. He's so (laughs) self-sabotaging, which is a thing. But why? What's his damage? Where does it come from? He never says, I don't think she loves me enough and therefore I'm bitter. That never gets mentioned, so I don't get it. I think it just doesn't make sense. As the Would this as, song as work a, better if he was still hella nice Raoul, but still didn't understand why uh, Christine loved him? Yeah, it's like, what does he have to be insecure about in that case? Or, like, from the original version of Raoul, what is there to be insecure about? That he doesn't know how to play music, and he just keeps trying to play piano, and it sounds like garbage. Yeah, if he has, like, a, um inadequacy... 
uh, complex because he thinks the Phantom is so sexy and awesome and he doesn't think he could ever measure up to Christine's ex. That that would be mm-hmm. interesting. That would have at least been something. <clears throat> yeah. I just still think it's weird that the Phantom is her ex. <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom is her baby daddy. Mm-hmm. Like so, because in the first one, she thought the fan she thought of the Phantom as like her father. So it's really weird. But he was like also seducing her, you know. Like I don't think she really thought of him. Like I don't think she thought he was her father. Like reincarnated or anything. I think he was just paternal. It's weird. It's still weird. I think. But then Meg walks in and is like, I want coffee from this bar. I just took a swim in the ocean where everyone kills themselves. Yeah, the thought of swimming in that Brooklyn water makes me so grossed out nowadays. I'm sure back then it was much less polluted, but... Uh, Kramer takes swims in there all the time, though. (laughs) (laughs) But just the idea of swimming with all those corpses in the bottom of the sea, like, oh... Oh, I want to go find them, see if they have anything in their wallets. And then she sees Rel, and they have, like, yet another reunion. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I'm getting drunk. She's like, yeah, 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 you look pretty bad. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why Meg is even in this one. To kill Gustav. To kill Gustav? And Christine. Well, <laughs> Meg and Madame Giri are the only one that have stakes in this that are interesting at all. So, like, Meg and Madame Jerry want something from the Phantom. They want his attention, they want his money, they want him to support them, they're reliant on him. And they fear they're going to lose it because he's obsessed with his ex and he might throw them away in favor of her. Those are stakes. That's interesting. The stakes between the Phantom and Christine and Raoul are so meaningless that they make Meg's story look interesting by comparison. Yep. I mean, there yep. were stakes when the Phantom was going to kill her child, but they kind of got rid of that really quickly. Yeah, but, like, why was he doing it? Because he wanted her to sing one song. Like, what What kind of reason is that? Like, when you, when you think of, like, a character want, like, a character's goal, my goal is to get Christine to sing one song. That's not high stakes. That's not interesting. That's not... The Phantom doesn't even do anything in this whole fucking musical. <laughs> like, what does he even do? He just like struts around, struts around, looking. Yeah, awesome. he, he's like he's like, I'm here and everyone likes me, right? <laughs> it's like I'm the Phantom. You came to the Phantom show. Here I am, <laughs> bask in my glory. He doesn't. <laughs> excuse me. He doesn't do anything similar to what the Phantom does. In yeah, the first in one. the first one, the Phantom is the one causing the stakes, and they they tried to mimic that with him threatening the kid, but that gets washed away so quickly that it. Uh, non-starter. Like so, Ralph starts insulting the Phantom, and then he pops up from behind the bar. <laughs> yeah, I guess he has secret tunnels here too. <laughs> there. Well, you know, he he built all of Coney Island to. Why was the Phantom there? To to mess with Ralph. Like, but why? What's his what what reason? <laughs> I mean, I know the reason, but it would have made sense a different way. They put him there so he knows where Madame Jury's going to take Gustav in the last scene. Oh. Yeah, I mean, the reason Meg comes into that scene at all is to establish that she goes down there and swims on the pier. So that way, when the pier scene happens at the end, it's not out of nowhere. 
Yeah. So then they start betting on Christine like she's an object. Yeah, this part's really fucking weird. They make a bet. Like, yeah, so now the Phantom doesn't just want Christine to sing one song. Now all of a sudden he wants to keep her, like, get her back in his life. And of course he hasn't, like, talked to her about this. Yeah, he makes a he makes a bet with a gambler. <laughs> so he bets around. He's like, if she sings a song, that means she stays with me. And I'm like, excuse me, did she agree to that? Is that what she's really saying by singing that song? Is she getting and, paid to sing that song? Yeah, she was getting blackmailed and paid to sing that song, so... Yeah, it's like, there's a lot of reason for her to sing the song, and then very little reason for her not to. And the fan was like, Raul, if you can talk her out of singing the song, then you can go home and I'll pay you anyway. But you gotta talk her out of doing the thing she agreed to do without letting her know why that her, like, marriage and livelihood and everything is on the line. When did he say that you can't say that? I mean, I feel like that would be the perfect loophole. Like, hey, he said he'd pay off everything if you just come with me. So how about you just come with me? And by the way, if you sing the song, you have to stay here with him. Do you even want that? Because you've never said so. (laughs) You seem pretty against it throughout most of this until, like, right after you finish singing it. Yeah, when she sings, suddenly she's like, oh, now I want you. Well, yeah, she finished singing it, and then Raul, like, announces that he's gone. And she's like, oh, I don't really care. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, it would make sense if it was like Susan Kay's novel where everything the Phantom sings or music-wise just makes them horny. Yeah, but it's like when she does sing the song, she's like, oh, that song was so amazing and it just made me feel so good and now I do want you in a romantic way, Phantom, even though I've been scared of you this whole musical and haven't even been considering it in any way whatsoever. Now I'm kind of into it. Now I kind of do want to stay with you. And Raoul, who's already accepted this, is like, peace. Like, he leaves in the middle of her song. Like, okay, fuck this, I'm done. And, like, the only thing the only thing that she's concerned about in concerning the person she's been married to for ten years is just making sure that he didn't take the kid. Well, you know, Raoul writes her a letter saying, I'm leaving you. After being a dick to her for ten years. So maybe she was like, figures, you know. Another dick thing for him to do. But then she's worried he took the kid with him. With Which, you know what? If, like, you're a man and your wife is showing interest in another guy and it's enough for you as the husband to want to leave the wife, why wouldn't you take the kid with him? The wife is the one who's, like, cheating or whatever. In all honesty, if I'm, like, restructuring this love never dies, I would make it so that Raul was like, okay, I'm leaving, but I'm taking my goddamn son. I raised him, he is mine, and your genetic code has no rights to him. And then, like, he's back there, and then she's like, wait, Gustav's not with you? I thought he was with you. Where is he? And then they're all like, oh, no, where is he? And then suddenly it's like, oh, I know like, Raul is the one that's like, I know where she is, she told me. And then Raul's the linchpin to save the day. That's my ending to this. Of course it would, but no, we can't make the Phantom not be the hero. But when uh, the Phantom hears that maybe Meg took Raul, or took Gustav, he's like, what? How dare she threaten to kill the same kid I threatened to kill yesterday? I'm gonna kill her! Well, and then, when like, he threatened when... to kill, he didn't know that it was his kid, okay? That's the important part. It's his Genetics. Kid. It's the only thing that matters. Adopted kids, you don't matter. 
Yeah. But he it, he's ready to kill Meg. He says, I'm going to kill her. And then they go off and find Meg. And she's like, I'm only doing this because you hurt me. And he's like, oh, I've changed again. Now I'm a better person and I feel bad for you. Don't forget the very subtle notion that was more more obvious in previous productions that she was sent out to fuck other people to help get this Coney Island off the ground. Like she was used as a prostitute basically on behalf of the Phantom and her mom. Oh, good. Yeah. It's, is it implied in other versions that he actually asked her to do that and like pushed her to do that? Cause in the Australian version, he seems like, what? I didn't know you were doing that. It was much more obvious that he was aware of it in previous productions. And he's like, Oh, was that a bad thing? <laughs> it's like, what? You're a chorus girl. Isn't that what chorus girls do? Kind of. Which gives more credence to that we can't all be like Christine. Man, the Phantom's such a good person in this. It's like you take a character that's bad and becomes good, and that's his climax, his character arc in the end of the first musical, and then you do this to him? <laughs> it's just... Ugh. I'm just upset he didn't kill anybody for the whole show. I give him credit for killing Christine. He killed Christine, basically. Yeah, he, he, he just pretty not... much did. Love dies. Love dies right there on the pier in his arms. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe if you had never written the letter and left her the fuck alone, she'd still be alive. Do you think that if, if Meg gave him the gun, he was going to shoot her? Shoot Meg? Yeah. No. Because he does the whole thing like, I'll kill her, I'll kill her. And then as soon as he gets there, he's like Mr. Softy all of a sudden because, you know, Android Weber wants to make him look good. Uh, I don't want the Phantom to look good. I want him to be violent murderer man. Well, he was. He was all that. And then yeah. that ended. And now it's done. And it should have been left that way. Yeah, this is just, it's not interesting at all. <laughs> so then Christine takes 17 minutes to die. Yeah. Well, you know, she wasn't bleeding or anything, so, you know. Like, they couldn't even do some, like, stage blood or something. No effects. Um, that would not be pretty. Um, we need her to look beautiful as she dies, sateen style. Also, I guess Raul knew where they were. <laughs> you see, he just shows up. In, <laughs> in the London production, he's just gone after he writes that letter. Like, he literally just left. And doesn't show back up until bows. <laughs> He's like, maybe I should show up for her dying. All right. <laughs> well, it's the moment where Christine explains to him that Christine or that Gustav is a Phantom's kid. And he's like, fuck that. That's too much shit for me to handle. I'm out of here. Then Raul brings him back like, no, no, no. This, this is what's going to happen. Gustav is given a choice. Do you want to go with Raul or do you want to go with the Phantom? And even though... The Phantom freaked him out so much that he screamed, and the Phantom was like, "Oh, he hates me, he hates me, he'll never love me. Gustav's like, no, I'll go with the Phantom. He seems cool. Why, why, I mean, if someone has raised you for ten years, they basically are your real, your real father. Like, And it's not like Gustav was like, ugh, I hate my dad because he's such a drunken jerk. Gustav was still like, play with me, daddy, I love you so much, why don't you love me? So why would he leave him? I feel so bad for Raul. <laughs> yeah, Raul loses his wife and his kid. Yeah, he loses his wife and his kid basically to the same person, and it's the person <laughs> that he almost got killed by ten years ago. 
Does everyone forget that? Like, he was going to die? <laughs> well, in my headcanon, and the Jess's version of Love Never Dies 2, Phantom of the Opera 3, um, it's Raul and the Phantom raising Gustav together in, like, a th- Three's Company situation. Yeah. That would be amusing. The Phantom has uh, Raul in a in a lasso at all times, just to make sure he doesn't go anywhere. It'd be like two and a half men. Two and a half masks. <laughs> Goose, um, the Phantom sings Love Never Dies at Gustav's face, which was actually an, based on an improvised thing that Ramin Karimloo did, I think, in his final performance as the Phantom in Love Never Dies um, back in London, and it became part of the script because Andrew Lloyd Webber liked it so much. Theater is a living organism. It truly is. And then you sit there wondering, what the fuck did I just watch? And then you go join Raul at the bar and drink yourself to death. <laughs> why, why did Christine have to die? Like, why kill her off? Um, because the 2004 movie has her tombstone in it, and they were obviously setting that up. I was kind of hoping they were going to kill the Phantom, but they didn't. I was really hoping they'd kill the kid, and then we'd be back in the situation we had before. They're like, well, it's got to be dramatic. It's got to be, like, epic. Someone's got to die. It just wanted to be Moulin Rouge, that's all. Yeah, Andrew Lloyd Webber, in between seeing the first, making the first Phantom and watching Moulin Rouge, he's like, I want that moment. Kill the Phantom. It's operatic, you know, that's how Carmen ends, and, you know, Traviata, and Bohem, and... All the other big operas, you know. Kill the Phantom. The Phantom deserves it, too, because he's a dick. No, the innocent, beautiful girl has to die. Then it's, like, super tragic. Kill Raul. Let Raul jump in front of the bullet, and then they have their unintentional family unit they wanted in the first place. Let him redeem himself. You know, Raul doesn't need any redemption. If I was in Love Never Dies, I'd be fucking drinking as well. Hi guys, sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but we've got a shill at you. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash musicalswithcheese and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash musicalswithcheese to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Um, Jess is telling me to recommend to you guys Unmasked, a memoir by Andrew Lloyd Webber and narrated by Derek Perkins. You get a lot of the good backstory behind how Phantom of the Opera came to be, as well as Joseph and Superstar. And also, Andrew Lloyd Webber has a really big head about everything he does. <laughs> good good touch jess uh, to get your free audiobook today go to audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese that's audibletrial.com slash musicals with cheese thank you all right back to the show you guys oh, you've no fear of the beauty underneath you can face it you can take it you see through to the beauty underneath about the music a bit because we kind of touched upon it a little bit but we didn't really talk about it 
That's because you told us to wait because we were talking about it after Sh- the commercial sh- break. <laughs> <laughs> quiet, quiet. Don't let them know. Don't let them know there's a structure to all this. It's structured. There's a structure to it. <laughs> um, so Till I Hear You Sing is arguably the only listenable sh- song in this entire show. Agree or disagree? I like The Beauty Underneath, the original version. I like the songs where it's just shamelessly, you're going to rock out to some Phantom of the Opera, bring in the electric guitars, bring in the 80s synth, go whole hog. Um, and I think the boy soprano is really good. Mm. It's fair, but I keep getting, like, the yeses creep me out too much. Like, ugh, why? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, he's yes. like a little baby phantom, so he's got to be sexy even baby at 10 fetus. years old. <laughs> It's it's uncomfortable. It is not a fun listen to for me because of the, especially the new version of Beauty Underneath. Oh yeah, no, let's talk about that. No, that's not the one I'm talking about. <laughs> I really liked Bathing Beauty. I think that was one of the best songs. <laughs> she took her clothes off um (laughs) (laughs) no he just really likes dots and checks dots and checks um it's hard to shit on beauty or bathing beauty because it is a pastiche like anything from the first phantom like the mozart but see the the pastiches in the first phantom were about opera in a musical Called Phantom of the Opera, about people who worked at an opera house. It was very tonally appropriate to take a totally different tone and make it very crass vaudeville is not going to make people happy when what they loved about that first musical was its aesthetic. Like, it's a totally different aesthetic. They should have like, called it Phantom of the Vaudeville and then it would have worked. Yeah, but it's if you're a fan of the original, you're into that like, grandiose, highbrow, wannabe aesthetic, and you're not going to like this trashy trash. It's not going to make anyone happy. Can we also talk about how Love Never Dies is just a terrible title for both a song and the show itself? Especially in a show where it does die. <laughs> I think The Beauty Underneath is a much better title. Well, Love Never Dies was the tagline for Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 film (laughs) wherein uh, Dracula and Mina get very romantic in a very Phantom Christine kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was very popular with some people and hated by other people. But, you know, it did that whole we're going to romance up something dark and gothic thing. And I don't know if it's coincidence or if Angela Dorber was like, yes, that is my title. Or maybe both. <laughs> they could have called it Bathing Beauty, though. Perhaps she won't go on, perhaps she'll lose on her, perhaps her voice won't say what she will fail him now. Please, my son, I will get what she Devil take the hindmost. I don't know if there's anyone that I feel like wholly positive over. Maybe the Devil Take the Hindmost Quartet, because I'm like, oh, that's neat. I actually really dislike that song. <laughs> it, it It's catchy, though. It sticks in my head. Like, after the last time I watched the DVD, that was the one that kept coming back into my head, Devil Take the Hindmost, for some reason. 
And, you know, if Andrew Lloyd Webber is known for anything, it's writing catchy songs that stick in your head. And a lot of songs in this are not like, Till I Hear You Sing never sticks in my head. I know it's arguably decent, but it's not memorable to me. Fair. I mean, it's no music of the night where you're just like, da, 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 da. What about that one song that with the, the circus freaks? Coney Island Waltz? Yeah. It's I don't remember how that goes. Coney Island, blah, 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 blah. You see, in the original London production, that was all instrumental, and it was the overture. And then they were like, okay, we need to actually put plot forward so they added lyrics to it. I kissed you. about beneath a moonless sky you guys I remember it because they also put it in the Phantom of the Opera 2004 movie briefly it is actually not briefly it's used like three times in that movie well, I think, you know, when Angeloid Weber writes a piece of music that he's like, yes, this is a good piece of music. I, I'm going to use this. He uses it. Well, I mean, you don't want to waste it. Use it one time. <laughs> it's wasted. <laughs> well, I have an unfair summation of Angeloid Weber that I made many years ago that I, I kind of agree with, but was a little harsh about back in the olden days. But I say, for every musical, he writes five songs and repeats them over and over until we don't notice it's only five songs. Yep. Because <laughs> count how many times Music of the Night is played just as a new song in Phantom. Phantom's good, but it isn't not guilty of that. They kind of pick a few, like a few catchy melodies, like one for each character, and then they have it kind of keep going. Yeah, it's like a leitmotif. Yes, but it's yeah. not, like, in Les Mis, the leitmotifs in that are very intentionally used. Javert has his, and Valjean has the who am I, and da-da-da-da-da. Where this one, it's like, hey, fucking someone's singing, put put all I ask of you there, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not as thought out. Yeah. It's like, we need to fill this musical gap. Um, um, uh, I'm going to write this really intense violin piece, and then Christine's suddenly at the gravestone. Well, it's like when Meg reprises Bathing Beauty, but she does it, like, really upset and angsty and horrible, and that's the only thing that justifies this trashy song being in there in the first place, but why did it have to be that song? Yeah, it, I mean, it would have even been better with the melody she sings at the bar to Raoul. Like, that that's a much better melody. That almost works as a song. Ugh. I feel like the whole circus setting of this just doesn't make sense. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, why would the Phantom, who was obsessed with opera, want to live in a circus? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a step up. That's for sure. It's a very large step down. Yeah. It's like Andrew Lloyd Webber's career. Ooh. <laughs> you know, in the he old went days, from <laughs> writing I requiems mean, to Rock of Ages. School of Rock. Don't forget that. He wrote that. Oh, School of Rock? Oh, School that? of Rock. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. I said the wrong musical. Rock of I wish he wrote Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Ha! <laughs> Poison? 
so Love Never Dies music really is not what sells it. It's more like the spectacle of what a mess it is, and I think Andrew Lloyd Webber's leaning into that nowadays. Well, yeah, the, the staging, the circus magic show, the effects, the costumes, the spectacle of it, the theatricality of it. That's, they, they invested a lot in there, and it's okay. They just had a trash story to put that around that they couldn't fix, no matter how many times they tried. You know what might be a pretty interesting musical for a sequel of Phantom of the Opera that I'm just th- sitting thinking about right now? Um, what if he had, like, a like younger mentor that just legit had interest in this? like, And he's just like, well, let me teach you about the magic. And it's, like, just, like, basically Pippin. <laughs> you know, there was a sequel to the Robert England movie where... Um... After he gave up on Christine, he goes after, like, a... He becomes, like, a ballet teacher or something. And that's very similar to the David Stoller musical, too. It's like, okay, now I'm done with opera. I'm going to focus on a dancer. So it's like, now we're not singing, now we're dancing. And it's like the same story over again, where you um, do something slightly different this time. It would have been neat if they had a ballet. It would have been interesting. You know, there is fan of the opera on ice. <laughs> that's... Interesting. Uh, it's um, it's a little boring, but I overall I like it. There is the all female Japanese adaptation of Susan K's Phantom. I feel like if Tim Burton made a Phantom of the Opera, it would be Love Never Dies. Oh gosh! Yes, yes, yes. yes this is very Tim Burtonified. The musical. note um overall what are our thoughts on love never dies and our cheese rating um sucks elisa you go first it's gotta be like a limburger or something really stinky because it stinks because <laughs> it stinks oh boy stinky cheese i think you gotta take the fancy cheese that they did that you get for the first one and then make it bad. So like it's like it's... let it sit out in the sun for six days. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with Nut Rebel. Jess, what is that, please? Yes, tell us what is this. Is an organic seasonal cheese from Casabelton and processed only from the purest hay milk of a cow, fed on dry hay herbs. It's dry. It's boring, and it's only got fifty percent fat content but it thinks it's pure and fancy yes exactly it thinks it's so cool but really it's just fucking nuts and they're trying to pass it off as cheese it's not cheese it's nuts (laughs) that's an appropriate cheese just like how Raul doesn't have any nuts (laughs) he's a nut rebel (laughs) (laughs) alright so would anyone actually recommend watching this Yes. Because I would not. I would. If you, like, for a drinking game? Maybe. I, I mean, like, if someone's genuinely likes the first one and, like, wants more, would you recommend this? Uh, no. I, I would say if you're curious and you're, like, want to witness the horror and suffer with me, sure, but you're not going to like it. And yet, I know so many 
diehard fandom fans are like, I kind of like it. Guilty pleasure. I'm kind of into it. So there's something there. I think they just like seeing the Phantom and Christine. Yeah. Maybe. I'm going to recommend wholeheartedly against it. I thought it was pretty bad. (laughs) Uh, Some of it is... You you have this podcast where you're trying to convince him to like musicals, and you show him Love Never Dies. (laughs) Yeah, Jess, what what is this? You can't appreciate the good stuff if you don't see some of the trash. Oh, so profound. I think the issue is that we wanted to talk about the first one, and then there's the sequel, so... Can't just ignore the sequel. Guys, don't watch the squeakquel. It's not as good. <laughs> I say watch it. It's fun. Don't watch it like... Like, hate, wa- hate watch it? Yes, hate watch it. Like, oh, I watch Rent more, like, once a year. I hate watch that show, that musical. I hate watch this, like, a little less, but I enjoy it when I do. See, this is the kind of musical that I would want to inflict upon people so they could suffer with me. So I would make people watch it. Just be like, yeah, isn't that awful? Yeah, all right, we're agreeing here. In the same way of the Star Wars holiday special, it's like, you don't believe this exists, but just wait. You don't know nothing yet. You know, considering that I make my living as an internet movie critic, where I often watch bad movies, you know, sometimes good ones, but most vampire movies are pretty terrible. It's kind of in my wheelhouse to be like, okay, we're going to subject ourselves to a thing now, and then we're going to talk about it. (laughs) This is what we do. I like bad movies a lot. This I don't like, because this is like the Star Wars prequels, kind of, where it just ruins something that is good. It's, It's offensive. Yeah, it's like, hey, remember that thing that you liked? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Signed, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Remember how great Phantom ended? Well, what if if we ruined that? What What if if actually? No. Something else. Uh. (laughs) Does this make you like the original more? Um... By comparison, I guess, but I, I wouldn't say it's like a direct, like, if you watch this, suddenly the first one's better. Because <laughs> you uh, did just watch both. Yeah, I just watched both time. back to back for the so first time. So after having watched Phantom, and then you take a day, and then you come along and you watch Love Never Dies, did your thoughts on Phantom develop at all in light of Love Never Dies? Um... I guess I just kind of appreciate that they didn't fuck it up as badly as they fucked up the sequel. (laughs) It's like, could have been so much worse. Wow, that could have been much worse. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's not like, it's not like, oh yeah, no, this is, uh, the first one's way better now that I've seen the second one. (laughs) Um... Well, I guess that's I all my curious. thoughts. I think that's all my thoughts on it. Uh, don't watch it. I don't like it. The music's bland and not memorable, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of a drag. It's kind of a slog. It's not even, like, amusingly bad for the most part, where you can, like, have fun. You, you get kind it's of not, I can't even really remember anything in it that I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. There's more just stuff that's like, well, that's kind of a little bit confusing, 
or that's not how I remember that character acting, and shit like that. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was in a movie theater because they were like broadcasting it on the big screen, and um, I kept cracking up because it was just so preposterous to me that I was just like, I gotta laugh, you know, I can't even cry at how they're ruining fandom. I just, I kept laughing. And I was just like, what? Seriously? Snicker, snicker, giggling, until finally the person sitting next to me turns and hisses at me, it is not a comedy. And I'm like, oops, sorry. Was I ruining your movie-going experience? But Phantom kind of was a comedy. Like, there's a lot of comic relief in Phantom. And to have that attitude towards Love Never Dies where, like, it's just not a comedy. And, like, yeah, I was laughing at it, not with it. And it is not a comedy, but I think that's a big problem with it is that they didn't put comedy in it. Well, they took all the comedic characters and they ruined them. <laughs> and they could have made more comedic characters. They introduced new characters, but they, they didn't make them comedic, no. They introduced... They, well, they introduced three new... the new characters and they don't do anything at all. Nope. They don't <laughs> they have don't even, characters. They're just they're, bodies. Yeah, they're just like, oh, there's these weird guys that look like they came from Batman Returns. <laughs> uh, here they are. <laughs> Well, one of them's named Mr. Squelch. Come on. <laughs> I guess that's funny. <laughs> that, that is fun. Nothing's funnier than hearing the Phantom sincerely screaming, Mr. Squelch! But you know what the biggest disappointment is? The logo for this musical is a mask covered in rhinestones, just completely blinged out fantastic. But the Phantom doesn't wear that mask in the show. No, he just kind of wears the same mask as the yeah. first one. Like, what a tease. What a bait and switch. Like, if they had gone that route, like that Moulin Rouge, blinged out disco ball mask aesthetic, and just owned it, maybe it could have been enjoyable. The Phantom creates pop. All right, anyone have anything else to say? No, I do not believe I do. How about you guys? <sighs> There. That sums it up. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Um, please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher at Musicals with Cheese. Keep leaving us reviews. We're about to give you another giveaway soon of $25 Amazon gift cards, so keep leaving them reviews. We're on Twitter at Cheesy Musicals. Our Instagram is Musicals with Cheese. Our YouTube page is Musical Theater Lives. Shoot us an email at musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. If we have Elisa on again, do you want us to talk about the David Stoller Phantom? How about the Eston and Copet Phantom? How about the Ken Hill Phantom? We'll talk about it, maybe. What are you doing to your poor friend? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you do this to him? Our title card was created by the by Jolene Casco. Her Instagram is at Jolene Casco. And Elisa, I know you've got tons of things you want to promote. Promote it out there for the world. My YouTube channel about vampires is called Maven of the Eventide, or you can just search for vampire reviews. I talk about vampires in literature and fiction and pop culture and what they represent and how that develops and why we love them and why we hate them, why they work, why they don't. And I do it dressed up like a wannabe Elvira. So, you know, it's fun. And I am also an author and I wrote a book that just came out recently called The Company of Death. It is about the Grim Reaper having an existential crisis during the zombie vampire apocalypse. And if you like Phantom of the Opera, you might like my book because I am me 
and Phantom of the Opera shaped my life. And there's probably a lot of it in there subconsciously and influenced. So if that's your thing, check out my book, The Company of Death. You can buy it anywhere books are sold online or ebook on Kindle, and it's only $5. My Twitter is Elisa in Time. Follow me on Twitter because I love having Twitter friends. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. This was Musicals with Cheese. I'm Jess. And I'm Andrew. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.